Welcome FEI Engage subscribers to How I Got Here. I'm joined by Edua Dickerson, VP ESG and Finance Strategy at ServiceNow. Her role includes leading and scaling ServiceNow's ESG strategy and program throughout the enterprise, embedding it into the ServiceNow operations and culture, driving strategic initiatives that help shape and amplify the CFO's vision, leadership and voice, and spearheading key initiatives that enable the finance organization to operate effectively and at scale. She also leads the finance talent and career development strategy, including post-university and post-MBA rotational programs. So needless to say, um, we're going to cover a lot of ground today. (laughs) Edua, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. Can we start with um, a little bit of background on you and kind of your college experience and your career path since then? Absolutely. So I am a Bay Area native, so born and raised here in the Bay Area. My mom is an immigrant from Nigeria, so kind of got to see both sides of that sort of growing up. Um, here in the Bay. I went to university at UCLA for undergrad where I studied mathematics, but knew that I didn't want to be a teacher, at least that's what I thought. And so I focused on uh, management and accounting and then found myself really leaning into public accounting. So I started my career at PricewaterhouseCoopers. I pivoted after my MBA into consulting with Deloitte and their strategy and operations. Um, practice. And then I decided I was really, it was time for me to jump into industry. And I was at Alphabet working in operations, specifically in finance and also in finance systems and um, have since then taken on roles in the chief of staff capacity. Um, And so that was really interesting. Got to learn a lot about kind of executive leadership um, and what it looks like to lead a finance organization and uh, I spent some time in product uh, also there at Google. And now I am back uh, in finance and I started as chief of staff to the CFO here at ServiceNow and then over to uh, ESG, which you just talked about. Thank you. Let's mm-hmm. start with your experience at PwC. Um, when you and I last spoke, you talked about being nudged by a partner uh, and, and, and someone sort of checked in with you to see if you were happy and where you wanted to go. So tell me about that experience and kind of what that meant for you personally and for your career at that time. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I do a lot of mentoring and people reach out and they want to know more about my career path. And one of the things that I often get asked is, when do you, how do you balance um, someone else having an idea of what could be good for you versus choosing what can be good for you? And so this is one of those examples early on in my career where I was, you know, fully committed to being an auditor. I thought I'm going to be a partner in 25 years. Like I joined the firm and and thought I had a plan and um, I was doing well, but as you know, we talked about before I had a partner observed that my energy, my enthusiasm, my passion for the core work had seemed to change and shift. And so she, she saw that change in me and she said, Hey, can we spend some time together? Let's go out for a coffee. And as we talked about the things that I was liking about the role and liking about the company versus the things that didn't seem to really speak to me anymore, we honed in on the fact that I had done a lot of work around training, learning and development, helping to roll out some internal software there. And she said, you know, I actually serve 
on um, the leadership team for our global education space. Can I, can I ask around to see if there's a match there, maybe an opportunity that could be good for you? And I was really grateful that she observed a shift in me and really opened my eyes up that, hey, actually when something doesn't feel right or something does change, there's a lot of power in exploring the conversation with those around you who could help you maybe look at the problem differently, look at the challenge differently, or even potentially help you understand other opportunities that you may just not even know existed. And that was a really powerful shift for me. Um, that opened me up, gave me a whole bunch of great skills that obviously now that I spend a lot of time thinking about learning and development of finance talent, I'm grateful to have had that experience so early on in my career. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was a really powerful moment. But again, that balance, that that tension. And I think as I've matured more and more in my career, I'm probably more leading those decisions and asking questions and looking for opportunities. But early on, it was really powerful to have someone see something in me and ask some questions that allowed me to to learn about some other spaces I could operate. Yeah, I love that. And I and I'm curious too, just to back up a little bit when you mentioned that you kind of saw yourself on the partner path. What do you think it was that wasn't necessarily the bet, like the right fit for you? And I'm asking on behalf of people who are um, going to watch this and who are uh, maybe saw that for themselves as well. And, and now maybe are questioning it or they're not sure that yeah. that's the right path for them. Absolutely. I think one of the things that can be a huge gift is learning from others and just asking lots of questions. So I spent more and more time asking partners and rising partners, so directors, kind of how, like what life looked like for them, what they liked about it at that point. And then I got to observe some of it. Obviously I was on lots of accounts and I got to see what that ebb and flow looked like. Um, there's a lot of kind of, I don't want to call it a cyclical nature, but kind of a rhythm to being in external audit, um, which I have a profound appreciation for. Um, but I, it wasn't, it didn't speak to me. Like I really liked being able to take on new challenges and being able to flex into other spaces. And so the work that I was doing around this technology that PwC had launched was that kind of for me, right? It was a, a new opportunity. It was building something. Um, it was taking on a problem that we hadn't really faced as a firm and exploring how we could overcome it and then deliver and create impact. And that's something that I think thematically has come up as I pursue additional roles is I really do like new challenges. Um, and that was important to me. I, yeah, I think I was just looking for something that was not as rhythmic as, as being an external audit. Um, yeah. No, that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so that sounds like, um, kind of a path or, or, uh, like a professional path that didn't necessarily fit for you. Um, talk about kind of an, a culture, an organization's culture that might not work. Like, how do you know that it's, it's time to leave? How do you know that it's definitely not the right fit for you and you need to make a change? Yeah, this was not something that was natural for me early in my career. <laughs> I was someone who thought um, that the most important thing was, um, for lack of a better phrase, sort of, um, sort of like allegiance and or like a long-term commitment. And that stuck with me even as I've moved 
through different roles is just this this sense of feeling like really almost obligated a little bit <laughs> to people. And so, but what I've learned over time is how important it is to be able to wake up every morning and be excited about what you get to do that day. Um, I also think it's important to really think about the mission and the purpose of the team and how closely aligned that is to your own values or your own interests. So that way you can truly lean into it and you can feel like you're at your highest and best use as a person because you likely are the greatest asset that a team or an organization can have. And I really am a quite, quite a reflective person. And so what I will often do is do my own kind of self-assessments on a pretty like quarterly to every six months, just kind of check in with myself, ask myself, you know, how am I still growing? Is there stuff left to learn here? Are there things I'd like to do differently? And it could be um, about the role and I'll have that conversation with my manager, right? Or it could be that, hey, the, the way that this team operates isn't really working for me. I'm curious if there's a path to resolution for that, for example. and can I help with that? And I'll put myself out there in those ways, which is how some of those other opportunities came along over time, right? I, I didn't just walk into a chief of staff role, um, you know, when I was at Alphabet, but having had a lot of context and being able to say, hey, like, this is a way that I think I can add value because I've observed this and I'd like to be a part of the solution. That was another aspect of it, whether it was culturally, um, you know, tone within an organization, or even from the perspective of just what the, fo the focus of the role or the function has been. And I, and I use that to measure things out. Um, I'll close on this because I think it's really important as a manager myself, um, the most, the, it, it's great to give your manager the opportunity to solve what is bothering you. Um, we want that opportunity to know <laughs> and to co-create a solution with you so, you know, I have really focused on making sure, hey, I'm checking with my manager. This is what I need from this role or this is what I need from this team. Is this something that we can work toward? Is it realistic? And sometimes the business priorities or just whatever else might be going on means that it's not, but it gives that manager also a little bit of a heads up that, hey, I'm, I'm going to probably start pursuing a change and they can help you with that change as opposed to it feeling like your, um, pardon the analogy, but sort of like cheating on them by exploring another opportunity, um, you can do that together. And, you know, I think it's because of that, that I have had really great relationships with managers that I've worked with in the past, because I've given them that space to, to help me navigate those, those changes and those challenges. Right. And you've given them a chance to correct course, correct, or mm -hmm. if, if they see it that way. Um, right. and, and yeah, so that's, that's kind of the first step is to kind of make your concerns known and, right. and ask the questions and, and then kind of assess from there. And that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. One phrase I like to use is like, don't suffer in silence. And that's mm -hmm. with your manager. That's with potentially your peer group, but, but put it out there um, in a professional way, right. right? Like, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I need. And using that to then move on to solutioning, like, okay, how can we fix this? How can we do that together? But yeah, I think that's a powerful tool because sometimes to be fair, as, as a leader, like I just may not know. Sure. It's not because I don't want to resolve it. It's I don't have the time. And I think I can appreciate that even more about the further into my career I've gotten um, and seeing that. Yep. So <clears throat> I want to ask you this because you're talking about 
you know, finding opportunities that excite you and that are mission driven. And, uh, that all makes sense to me. It, it also sounds like some, if you make moves kind of related to that, they can be riskier moves. And I want to ask you this, and I don't want to like therapize you or anything, but when you and I last talked, we did, you did share some, a bit about your upbringing, you know, and Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier that your mom was a, was an immigrant from Nigeria. And so I wonder, um, if, and I'm just kind of thinking about this now, if, if you were hesitant to like make a move and you said you wanted to be, um, kind of loyal to a company that was Mm -hmm. kind of your instinct. I wonder Mm -hmm. if there was part of you that really wanted the stability Um, after maybe some of what you experienced growing up. And again, if I'm out of line, like tell me, but I'm just wondering what you think about that. Yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a pretty open book. So people, when they ask me, um, I don't have a problem sharing. So Um, I grew up here, um, like I said, in the Bay Area, my mom was an immigrant and she had myself and my twin brother and my younger brother and she was a single mom. And um, she also had some challenges sort of acclimating and some substance abuse issues. She's clean and sober and an amazing human being and one of my um, one of my favorite people and like one of my inspirations every day. But I would completely agree that my own experiences made me very risk averse. I think that'll resonate with all the folks on the call with respect to like terminology, but I was a pretty risk averse person very early on in my career. Um, so I think learning over time, how to make sort of calculated risks or, or, you know, at times like there's, there's a kind of without it, um, much attention, I think it's intentional kind of as well, right? It's hard to grow when you're really comfortable. I actually have, um, a number of quotes around my home about um, change and being cha- needing to be challenged to really grow and to change. Um, I think it's super important being just uncomfortable. And so, but I think what I learned early on is that security is one of my core values. Like it is really important for me to feel stable and secure um, and balancing that with recognizing that, you know, what did I say with great you know, with risk can come great reward or something to that effect. Like you kind of need to, to do that a little bit sometimes. And so, yeah, that was definitely a, a part of my choosing what was a stable career, right? Accounting, everybody needs an accountant, right? Can accountants are important and getting a CPA, that was part of that. And so I think wanting to feel solid and like I was standing on solid ground was really important. And then over time, I think what serves for me personally, as stability or security has evolved, um, but it started from that place and wanting to be useful to my family and able to take care of myself in a very particular way. And those that was that definitely drove some of my decisioning early on in my career. I would completely agree with that. Yeah. Well, first of all, congratulations to your mom. Um, that's you. an incredible feat for her. Uh, and uh, yeah, I love I love what you're saying. Like this kind of reimagining of what. Or not reimagining, but like an evolution of how you um, see stability and security. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that, especially being a woman of color, it's like I imagine again that mm-hmm. there might be a feeling of, hey, I'm just happy to have something that, yeah, yeah like, and I, so, yeah. so like, I, empathize with that, I guess, like it just makes a lot of sense to me. And so 
for you to be kind of brave all throughout your career, which we're going to get more into. Um, it truly is bravery to take chances and take risks. And, and Mm -hmm. I can't, I think we can both sit here and say like, it's a, it's a risk-taking professionally is a different thing for Mm -hmm. women of color, especially in finance and account. Like it's just different. It's absolutely, absolutely. Because, um, to the point there, there wasn't, I, I started my career with PwC in San Jose. There wasn't a black partner at the time in the prep, in like in the office, um, anywhere. Um, and there weren't very many black women, um, in, I think above like the senior associate level that I saw in the external audit practice, maybe there was a manager that I had just somehow not crossed paths with. I remember that there were a couple of, um, partners and some of their last names are coming or not partners, but directors, Mm. some of their last names are coming up for me, but I don't remember there, there wasn't a black partner in the San Jose office at the time that I was there. And that was interesting because it, you know, and like, it was like, oh yeah, maybe that's why you spend all this time here. It's like, maybe I can be that, not the first, but I can be one of the, one of the first, which is an exciting Mm -hmm. opportunity and, Mm -hmm. and all of that. But, but then I also, you know, yeah, you gotta, you gotta do what works for you. Yes. But, it, but, but, in, you know, that experience could be both, um, inspiring and also incredibly intimidating and discouraging, you know, yeah, not seeing somebody that looks like you, um, in, in a leadership role, it's like, yeah, I mean, and a hundred percent has being to do with your first... personality for sure. That that kind of like lit a fire under you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And being the first is not for everyone. And that's, yeah, so that's exactly <laughs> being the first or being one of the first or being one of the few is like not for everyone. And that's okay too. Um, but yeah, it, it is very common. I mean, you know, we yeah. talk about it all the time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So I want to ask you about, um, your leap to industry, your time at Google. Tell me a little mm-hmm. bit about that transition for you, what that was like. Yeah, it was super interesting. I would say the thing that I loved most about it is I got exactly what I was looking for is, which is I had lots of ideas as an auditor. I think it can feel at times, I know that the, the, the profession has continued to evolve, but it can feel a little less advisory and much more sort of spectator, um, which is an important thing, but you don't feel as it, I didn't feel as in the, in the, in that way as a strategic advisor. And so consulting was a path to that. But what I realized is I want to be in the game. I want to be active. I want to have an idea, implement the idea, see it through, see the results of that idea, and then keep going. Right. And that was a gift that I got quite immediately in joining um, as, as, you know, kind of leading ads billing and, and being able to do that work. I really enjoyed being able to have that. Um, I, I'm a very observant person, and this is probably inherent from, um, you know, other people of color or women of color who are on this call can potentially um, identify with this. Is, you know, you often have to just kind of really pay attention to what's happening around you. Just that way you can assess how you show up. We talk about code switching often and what that what is required in that. But when I got there, I could very quickly see, you know, who was leading what, what was happening. Um, undertone wise, as well as explicitly. And it allowed, and it was a very big shift from being in professional services. There's a path, you know, basically if you're doing your job and you're doing your job well, 
you can expect to get promoted pretty regularly at particular intervals. You can understand how your career is going to sort of develop or grow. You may be special and nuanced and maybe do a, a bit of a lateral shift or something like that, but often there is a path and it's very clear and it's very common amongst the leadership um, in a lot of ways, different in ways, but mostly common. Jumping into industry, there is not a single path. And I jumped straight into tech. So, so yeah. what I found was you had to be a little bit more active in crafting your career and making those determinations. And I think that's where my um, practice of reflection really served me quite well because I was someone who was constantly checking in, okay, what were the goals I set? What were the skills I wanted to develop? Have I done those things? Has anything shifted or changed? Are there new skills I wanna develop? Are there new things I wanna experience? And how is this role offering that? And if it's not, how might myself and my manager work to come up with a plan to close that gap or pursue a different placement that would allow me to continue to grow? I had to be much more active and we talk all the time. Now I've been you know, in industry exclusively for years now, but like, it's so important to, to really take the time to like, understand where you are and what you are doing, have that open dialogue with your manager. And then the things that you would like and are interested in co-creating a plan or a path to get that exposure. It's not the same as when you're in like a big four accounting firm path. It is very different. It's much, it's much more active. I would say in crafting your career was would be like my biggest takeaway from a transition perspective. So <clears throat> I want to pivot a little bit now. You fairly recently launched Edualina cons- uh, Coaching. Mm-hmm. And so that, so it's aimed at helping diverse rising leaders unlock their power and change the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this. Talk about like your motivation to do this. Uh, obviously just from this conversation and my intro early, like you have quite a full plate already. Um, so what was, what was the motivation to do this and, and talk a little bit about like what you get out of it? Yeah. Um, there were a few motivations. The starting point was I would get, I was very fortunate to be able to mentor quite a few people over the course of my career. Um, I think because I didn't have examples in my household and necessarily like in my immediate um, sort of orbit, we'll use that term for now, um, I had to learn a lot of things on my own or really look and seek out people who I could get advice from. And so I tend to be the type of person where if I've learned something, if I can help you kind of skip the painful part. (laughs) Um, And it doesn't mean you don't have to do the work, but if I can help you skip the painful part, I'd love to be able to do that. And so I've always been someone who offered my time quite uh, liberally. (laughs) And when I, when I stepped into my first chief of staff role, um, supporting the corporate controller and chief accounting officer at Alphabet, um, I realized one of the things that I wanted to do more of or better, because it wasn't just about supporting them, but also their leadership team and other leaders within their organizations, various, you know, um, sort of levels down within the organization, was that I wanted to continue to help them harness 
what they already had inside of themselves. And I wanted more tools to be able to do that effectively. So that was sort of the professional driver, which is I'm good at mentoring. I'm good at giving advice and so on, but how can I get more tools to do that more effectively that allows people to take more ownership of what we're working on or working through. And then you match that with the mentoring. I often was mentoring people of color. I helped to, to found and grow our black finance population by what was it almost 10 X in the few years I was in finance. And so that was important, but I, I found like I wanted to have more tools to help rising talent just in general. And so I went and pursued a certification and it was an amazing experience because I'm able to bring those tools into how I interact with all talent that I manage, that I lead, that I get to inter interact with. Um, but the, the launch of Edwalina coaching was really about um, taking all of those things that I had already been doing with executives and then through mentorship and saying, if I can take this and enable talent to be great um, and hopefully um, uh, help a few more people that look like me rise <laughs> in these various professions or in these um, in the industry, especially in tech, um, that would be amazing. I would love to be able to do that. Um, and, you know, I wasn't always the most senior person in a conversation, but I can still add value to a, quite a seasoned and senior person in creating awareness. And I learned those tools and techniques through getting my certification and then through having my own practice and wanted to sort of be able to really tap in and hopefully continue to create equity in the ecosystem. So I want to, I'm curious, what kind of career advice or even just like leadership soft skill advice do you find yourself giving maybe most frequently to the people that you work with? Like, what do you kind of, what's like a common thread that you come back to a lot? Mm. Um, there's probably two. Okay. Not exactly tied, but I, they, they're both popping up a lot for me. I think one of the things that is really, really, really important um, is sort of the combination of self-awareness and listening. Um, it can be really difficult for you to evolve, to progress if you're not listening for ways for you to grow. Um, and also listening because I think we talked about this earlier on, which is there's there's very, there's not ever really going to be a situation where you know everything. There's always going to be space for learning. And the best ideas don't always come from the most senior person on a call, or they won't always be your own. And so I think that listening and that self-awareness is so key. And so that's a theme that I think comes up quite often um, and helping others have that self-awareness. So when they're bringing things up, I'm like, okay, so let's talk about what your role was in that. Let's talk about kind of how you, what you brought to that space or that disagreement or that, you know, that fracture that might've happened. And what can we learn from that that can shift in you um, is an example, right? So that's like one theme. And then I think the other theme that comes up probably most with individual contributors, just people who don't have large teams, they may be influencing across the organization, but people who have, who don't have maybe direct reports. Um, and I think it still holds true, even if you do happen to have a team, or even I think this holds true for myself, which is 
Um, we are each sort of the CEO and founder of the startup of us. And at the same time, we're employee one of one. And what that means is you're responsible for understanding your market. Like, what are you going to do? What are you going to, what gap are you going to fill? You're responsible for delivering a amazing product. So those are your deliverables. You're responsible for the sales and marketing around that product. So telling the success story, telling the impact story and getting back up and doing it again. Like you can't, you can't rely on anyone else to do that work for you. Um, you've got to do the work. You've got to understand what unique value you're adding. And then you've got to be able to tell that story. Um, and you play all of those roles in, in articulating, you know, what it is that you do. And so I think that that's really important as well. And it comes up quite a bit and I give that advice to people. Yeah. And it's, and it's something that I, I'm hearing a lot, even just in our conversation too, is the importance of self-reflection um, for you. And then, so mm -hmm. it makes sense that that would be advice that you would give others, um, an introspection. Um, and, and then, yeah. And then I do think it's connected the ability to take in feedback, whether mm -hmm. it's like overt, like, Hey, you need to do this better. Or just like subtle things that you're hearing from people right. and, and, and taking that in and being open to that. It's, it's, it, to me, it's totally connected. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Something that you said to me when we um, initially spoke was, was about managing up. And I wonder if that's something you could explain a little bit. Um, yeah. 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 I am um, pretty good at managing up. And, and I think that can come with negative connotations because, you know, depending on what you've observed, you may say, oh, they manage up super well, but they don't, but they, they don't treat everyone the same. I, I treat everyone the same. I'm going to talk to the person who's cleaning the, 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 the kitchen the same way I speak to the CEO. I'm, I'm going to treat everyone with respect. But I think what I, what's really important about that is understanding what's most important to your manager. What are those priorities that they're driving and how can you communicate the impact you're having and how it directly enables those things. And so I think there's, it's, a, it's back to kind of that CEO, employee one of one of the startup of you, it's the communication part. And so one of the things I do with any of my managers is really get to the nitty gritty. Like when I first joined ServiceNow, you know, one of the conversations I had with Gina was like, what are, what are the top three things that I need to deliver for you in the first six months um, that will have us both look back and say, this was a success. This was a successful way to use your time, to use my time, et cetera. And getting really crisp and clear on what is the priority and what success looks like, and then managing to that. So when we would meet, she would get updates on those things that were top of mind. If her list changed, we would have that conversation. But it was important for me to own, or at least co-own, that discussion and not just rely on her to keep telling me, oh, no, go this way, no, go that way. And so in some regards, it's the autonomy. In some regards, it's kind of that independence and, and the ability to, to get put yourself in the driver's seat as much as possible. And what I have seen be a byproduct of operating that way is that you actually get much more trust and confidence from your leader when you really understand what they need and you're working with them accordingly, right? Um, and giving them the information that they need when they need it. I think that then they have that trust, right? They can kind of step back because they know you've got it 
and you've gone deep enough on the things that are important to them. Um, but that goes back to being really curious too upfront, right? Listen, ask a lot of questions, get really clear, come back, check in. Um, that can be really powerful. And being super proactive. I mean, that's another thing that exactly. I'm hearing from you is like yes. that you are incredibly proactive and, and approaching, um, you know, conversations with your leader, your manager that way, I would think would instill so much confidence in them to mm-hmm. say like, wow, this person really is like motivated, goal yep. oriented. Like I don't yes. have to micromanage, like Absolutely. she, he, they are coming to me with like, Hey, here's what we talked about. Is this still kind of, you know, accurate as far as what you have in you know, the goals that you have for you exactly. and I, and it's such a great approach. I love that. So I want to get to your current role because it's super interesting. And obviously ESG, it's like, everybody wants to be involved, you know, involved in ESG. So what does the, I really, and I'm really, really curious about this. What does the ESG component of your role actually look like? Like, what is that? What does it mean? (laughs) ESG, it's like, some of us have like a, this concept of it, that it's kind of like nebulous. And so what is it, what does it really look like in your your day to day? Yeah. So in my world, I am focused probably, I have like three priorities that I'm focused on all the time. Um, so I have the governance team reporting and governance team reports directly to me and, um, they are focused on defining and enabling, um, the strategic definition of our ESG initiatives and programs. And that looks like partnership with the almost 50 business owners across the enterprise (laughs) and then their team specifically. So there's that, but then it's the report, it's establishing controls. It's all of that. Um, And this is, you know, how I've gotten closer to FEI over the last six months. It's just this space continues to evolve. And I'm really excited to be able to bring my background as a certified public accountant to this space because it is quite, um, I feel like ESG is getting soxified in its own way, which is kind of cool. And then another aspect of my day-to-day is around employee engagement and um, community investment. And so I have a team who's focused on all of our partnerships, on our employee engagement. We're doing phenomenal um, on that and and bringing programs to life in, um, in a hybrid world, which is complex in its own regard, and showing up in moments that matter, right? So one of our four pillars or focus is disaster response. So from the surge in India last year during COVID to everything that's been happening this year around Ukraine and then everything that's happened in between around you know, various communities and, and, and um, kind of social unrest and, and, and injustice and, and enabling you know, the team that, that has been spearheading our racial equity fund. Those are things that I get to do from a community perspective, which I'm really grateful for and my team, my team leads. Um, The rest of my role is a bit more like a strategic advisor and enabler to the business. And so our sustainability team for people who have been learning about ESG on the E, the environment component, um, a lot of supply chains or scope three, as I mean, I'm sure many of you read the proposal by the SEC, um, is so important. And so our sustainability team actually sits with our sourcing team and I get to partner with them and understand how they're thinking about that and enable them and bring them research. Um, I work deeply with our product team on how they're thinking about how can we be a part of enabling other organizations to accelerate their ESG journeys and their initiatives and targets. And so that's 
a big part of my job. So sometimes it's working with customers, it's working with products, it's working with business owners to help them think through what they're doing. But those are really the three areas that I spend the most time um, on a regular basis. Um, now, obviously preparing for board season because it's time to, time to report out on how things are going with the board. So it's been pretty pretty great in that regard. So that's that's what it looks like day to day. And I'm one ESG leader. I'm sure other ESG leaders may have a, a different mix or balance, but that's what mine looks like every day here at ServiceNow. So anyone that's like listening or watching who, who wants to, uh, you know, who has a goal of being enmeshed in ESG in their career, what mm. are some kind of steps that they can take to demonstrate an interest in this area and to demonstrate a know-how in, in, you know, ESG? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, I have to caveat this, that every organization is super unique. So I think, but one thing that I did even at my senior level, because I, I really started on this path last year in, in 2021, um, was I actually went back to school, if you will, right? I got a, uh, I got a certification at Harvard and I got one also at um, NYU Stern. And, and that was important just to kind of learn to get the basics. So that's one thing, especially if you're able to use like an education incentive from your company to do those sorts of things. Those programs can be really great because they can just get you down um, in the basics of things. Um, there are plenty of networks and groups, I think, that are important. But for people who are in finance, the thing that I have really found really powerful is people who have like finance controls, business process design backgrounds, um, and even kind of financial modeling backgrounds, like you can add a lot of value quite immediately if there's opportunity to sort of lean in, right? So we have an FP&A counterpart who's helping us size all of our investments short-term, long-term, et cetera, and, and do the reporting and the understanding of the ROI around that, which is amazing. Um, so there's someone in I, uh, not IA, I'm sorry, in, in FPNA who's getting that exposure. We have partnerships with internal audit in their advisory capacity where they're actually helping us as we craft and build controls. So I think that there's lots of ways that you can lean in from where you are. And so I think it's asking the question of where your, your organization is in the journey and how your skills may be able to quite immediately add value and or maybe over time, depending on how the, the program is evolving. It's, a, it's another thing that I, that I'm hearing from you is, is like I, this, this knack for, um, identifying gaps. Mm. Like, I feel like we keep coming back to that in, in different ways, which is, I think is so interesting. It's, it is that it is what you talked about before, just being very observant. Mm. Um, but then also combined with the proactivity of like, Hey, I see a gap here. And so well, I wonder how, and I how can, can I help? help? Yeah. Yeah. How can I help bridge that? And, you know. Um, it's just so interesting. Uh, so the last thing I want to ask you is kind of related to this. It's on the, the kind of social component, but on your, um, LinkedIn profile, you have inclusion catalyst. And this is something that I want to talk to you about because, uh, I think that, uh, and I said this earlier, uh, D E and I, they're, they're really separate things, right? So diversity, equity, and inclusion are all separate from each other. We tend to kind of lump them all together. Um, I want to know a little bit about kind of what you mean by that and inclusion catalyst, and then uh, kind of talk me through how others can learn to be an inclusion catalyst at their own organizations or in their own life 
Like, yeah. Because it's, for me personally, I, I think this is something that's really important, potentially the most important component of DE&I. Uh, but yeah, I, I want to know your, your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, so what I'll say is I see diversity as really linked quite closely to representation um, and inclusion and equity have a lot more to do with your experience. And that's, what's going to kind of keep you around. <laughs> if you're having an experience that feels that I am welcome here, that my perspective is celebrated for being unique and or different, um, and that the systems and processes are set up in a way that the playing field is as fair, that's more on the equity side as possible. But I have spent a lot of time, both in the inclusion and in the equity space, really thinking about challenging leaders as I work with them in the capacity of a chief of staff or in other ways to say, okay, are we doing something that is going to create an inclusive experience and is taking into account the differences that are happening for people individually or as subgroups of a larger community or organization and then pushing toward equity, right? How are we thinking about creating equity in that experience as well? But I, I think that it's so important to really think about you know, how I feel individually or how individuals will feel, which is kind of the inclusion. And then the equity is a bit more on the systems and what can we do as an organization to bring those two things together? Um, so I am a very, I'm very focused on, I'll be on calls and I'll hear that someone hasn't said something I'll say, oh, you know, Rebecca, do you have something else to add? Um, we're now in this hybrid situation. Sometimes people are in the room and others are not. I will like pause people. Hey, so-and-so you're on, you know, uh, let's say I'm going to use an actual name of someone I work very closely with who's often on VC because he's in, um, He's in Europe, Hervé, did you have anything you wanted to jump in? I saw you came off mute, but like slowing down enough or um, we have, you know, reviews. We talk about talent, right? And being one of those people who isn't afraid to say, hey, have we thought a little bit about the fact that our, our answers are looking different kind of dependent on X, Y, Z attributes. <laughs> Won't open the kimono too far. But I think we all have a space to ask those questions. And we can do that um, focused on individuals' experience. And we can ask those questions in a room. We can bring people into a conversation. And, we, and also the other way that I think as individuals, we can each practice that is ask a lot of questions. I tend to be someone who's so curious. I'm asking probably too many questions sometimes, but I, I really value relationships. I think that's another thing. If I haven't said that enough in this conversation, but I think relationship building can be really powerful. And it's, it's a result of my relationships that allows me to know if someone actually has a strong opinion about something, but like maybe they just haven't had the space to be included in the conversation or I can represent them and include them in the conversation, um, if, if, even if they're not in the room, because I've taken that time to learn as much as possible. So I think inclusion starts with a sense of like curiosity and the ultimate goal of wanting everyone to feel valued, respected, and welcomed. 
And I think, you know, when you, when you strive to create an inclusive culture and an inclusive experience for individuals and for teens, I think it can, it can lead to us even challenging our systems and moving into that space of focusing on equity. So Mm -hmm. that's what I would, I would offer to people. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm hearing from you is it's, it's going beyond like having a seat at the table and it's even going beyond um, being heard at that table. It's, yeah. it's, it's kind of use the word celebrated actually. So it's, mm-hmm. it's beyond that. It's, it, it's appreciating someone's perspective because it is different. And I know Absolutely. we, we all love to say like, Oh, let's celebrate our differences. But like, it is, it is kind of that it's beyond just saying like, Hey, we're going to hear what you have to say. Right. It's saying like, Hey, I like, you're going to probably bring a different perspective and we want that. Absolutely. And I think even when you're in a call or a meeting and someone adds something and it's, maybe it's very left field, hopefully Mm -hmm. you're in the brainstorming space, but it's very left field. I think acknowledging the contribution, validating the contributions, uniqueness from maybe the core or, or the, what seems to be the, let's say, um, the consensus, right. That is part of that inclusion because now I'm saying, Oh, wow. Okay. This is, this is really different. Um, how could we spend some time? How, how would it look if we did integrate this different opinion to, to be able to touch that, you know, that or not touch, but enable, you know, that outcome as well. And I think that's the celebrating of that difference and mm-hmm. the folding it in. And that is inclusion. I think just cause I'm in the room and I have a seat doesn't mean I feel included. Doesn't mean I am included. Right, it just exactly I'm there. Yeah. It's like someone checked the box and exactly. It can feel that way. Yeah. yeah. And it may not, that's not the intention, but that's where being a catalyst for inclusion, being a catalyst for pulling that out of people and bringing that to the forefront. So it can be, it can enrich the conversation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that that decision or that choice is going to be taken, but at least now we've all we've all experienced that and been exposed to it because maybe it'll be relevant elsewhere. Yeah. I'm so afraid of echo chambers. Like I feel like I'm hyper aware (laughs) of them. Yes. And, uh, it can feel good, but it's like, I'm like, I feel like I'm like allergic to, to, to that kind of, uh, discussion and, you know, and so it is important, as you said, even if it feels like it's coming from left field, uh, it's, it still is valuable, even if the value that it brings is just kind of disrupting the the conversation and, and Mm -hmm. reminding a group of people that maybe we're all thinking the same and that's a problem. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. Well, Edwa, that's all the time that you and I have, but, uh, I think we all are going to feel like we got this little glimpse into what it might look like to be, to, you know, work for you or work with you. And we would all be so lucky. Uh, this was just such an enlightening conversation as I knew it would be. And uh, we could have probably talked for hours um, easily. <laughs> Absolutely. easily. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you. I just really want to thank you for your time and your, your you know, thoughtfulness um, and, and, and all your great advice. Absolutely. I am so happy that an, a resource like this exists for people to lean into. Um, there's a lot of stories, amazing stories out there. So much, you know, diversity in the stories and experiences. And I think if, if I can inspire folks to think about how they're 
own path could be unique or look a little like mine, or, you know, they can gain some, some tips and tricks. Again, they don't have to go through as much pain as I did. Um, I'm, I'm glad to have been able to do that. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you, Edwa. Thanks everybody for joining us.